Tonight, charged up, a high-voltage deal with Volkswagen to build a battery plant in Canada. And Ontario City edges out the global competition. We will benefit for years from this. The long road in the electric evolution, but short on some critical details. Assurances and anxieties as American banks collapse. And no losses will be borne by the taxpayers. The interventions and the impact. This is everything that we have saved. Plus, rescued from a raging fire. Hello! When I saw the lights turn on, I knew somebody was inside. The courageous instincts of a Quebec camera operator. CTV National News with Omar Sachadina. Good evening, everyone. We begin tonight with a developing story out of Quebec and the pickup truck that plowed into pedestrians in the town of Amqui. Police say two people were killed and nine were injured in the crash and that the 38-year-old driver turned himself in immediately. Amqui is 350 kilometers northeast of Quebec City in the Gaspé Peninsula. Investigators say those hit by the truck were walking beside the road and that the two people killed were both men in their 60s and 70s. It's being described as an isolated incident and not terrorism or related to national security. Turning to other news now, one of the world's largest automakers will be the first one based in Europe to set up major manufacturing operations in Canada. CTV's Ottawa Bureau Chief Joyce Napier on the timeline and why this country beat the U.S. for the bid. Volkswagen's decision to establish its first overseas cell manufacturing factory in Ontario is being touted as the largest investment in the auto sector in the history of this country. Today, Canada won big time, and I'm very happy to celebrate that. Canada beat the U.S. in the bid to bring the plant to North America. Its access to clean energy and proximity to the critical minerals needed to build the batteries for electric vehicles made Canada the winner. When you look at the statistics, there were going to be $300 billion spent in new EV facilities globally, and not one penny of it was coming to Canada. Neither minister wanted to provide details on the total investment cost and the share both Ontario and the federal government will be carrying. But some estimate the project will create thousands of jobs in the city of St. Thomas. I don't have to drive down the highway just to get a high-paying job. I don't have to um, take on two jobs. St. Thomas now is a place where you can come to work and get a really good-paying job, uh, certainly very shortly. But those critical minerals need to be mined, and strict environmental regulations, provincial federal disputes, and indigenous land rights could slow down the process. It's not enough to just bring them out of the ground. You have to be able to refine them, you have to be able to build them, and move them to your customer, which means having the arteries, the train, the infrastructure. Still, this is big news for the city that was once a player in the auto manufacturing industry. St. Thomas lost automotive production from Ford and truck production from Sterling in 2010. There is no precedent for a town to get back into the auto business after it's lost. This is like uh, the Nordiques playing in Quebec City again. And the city of St. Thomas is getting ready. It has acquired a massive 1,500-acre property for the factory. Production is set to begin in 2027. 
Omar? All right, Joyce, thanks. Joe Biden addressed a jittery nation this morning and tried to reassure Americans that the money they have in banks is safe after two of them suddenly collapsed. CTV's Richard Madden on the president's promise, which he says is not a bailout. Addressing the nation before markets opened, U.S. President Joe Biden tried to ease the panic and contain the fallout. Look, the bottom line is this. Americans can rest assured that our banking system is safe. Biden was responding to the historic collapse of two major banks over the weekend and announcing its customers can now access all their cash insured by the federal agency, insisting it's not a bailout. No losses will be borne by the taxpayers. Instead, the money will come from the fees that banks pay into the deposit insurance fund. Silicon Valley Bank, the go-to lender for tech startups, suddenly imploded Friday. Customer accounts were frozen, many furious at bank executives for letting it happen. They basically committed a crime. They were entrusted with our money and didn't do the job that they should have done. Yesterday, state regulators seized Signature Bank, which funded cryptocurrency and real estate. Those deposits will be repaid too. But the pair of bank failures have raised questions about the health of other regional banks. Many of those stocks tumbled, prompting concerns of a spillover. We want to make sure that there's not a ripple effect because of people getting anxious, start withdrawing, then that creates instability. The White House blames the former Trump administration for rolling back banking regulations, while others blame the Federal Reserve for ongoing interest rate hikes. The Fed goes after inflation and they raise rates, slow the economy down, and all of a sudden stuff starts to break, and that's what we're seeing. I think this is a break that's more of a crack. Those rising interest rates are cited in a new class action lawsuit against Silicon Valley Bank, accusing executives of not paying attention to the impact. And the White House tonight is aggressively pushing that message of reassurance while bracing for the political fallout. Omar. All right, Richard, thank you. The family of a murder victim says the Supreme Court ruling goes too far in allowing those convicted of horrific crimes to ask for parole decades earlier. CTV's Kevin Gallagher on the latest appeal case where this decision could be a factor. Family and friends describe Laura Babcock as a bubbly 23-year-old who dreamed of being an actress. She was murdered more than a decade ago. But today, her parents relive the trauma inside an Ontario courthouse as the men responsible appeal their conviction. There's no such thing as closure. If anybody tells you that, they've never been anything through anything like this. In 2017, Dellen Millard and Mark Smitch were found guilty of murdering Babcock. Her body was never found, as they used this incinerator they called the Eliminator. It's the same gruesome machine police later found Tim Bosma's remains in. Millard and Smitch killed him in 2013 during a test drive of Bosma's truck. It's devastating to lose a child, and anybody that's lost a child can relate to us. The two men were given life sentences with no chance for parole for 50 years. Millard was then convicted of his father's murder, denying him any chance of release for 75 years. But a Supreme Court ruling may allow them to apply for parole earlier. During a review of the Quebec City mosque shooter's sentence, it ruled denying anyone a chance to be set free past 25 years is cruel and unusual punishment. I will say in cases like this, the risk profile is off the charts and the chance of ever getting parole is zero. Nevertheless, a New Brunswick court recently ruled the shooter who killed three Mounties in Moncton in 2014 can now apply for parole 50 years earlier. Well, we're disgusted at the Supreme Court. The Babcocks say the process will reopen painful wounds 
much sooner than expected. Did anybody even think about what could happen going forward with a ruling like this? The Crown says the evidence that Millard and Smith murdered Babcock is overwhelming. But even if their appeals are dismissed, Omar, their wait to apply for parole could still be reduced by decades. Kevin Gallagher in Toronto tonight. The president of Memorial University in Newfoundland and Labrador is taking a six-week paid leave over scrutiny around her claims of Indigenous ancestry. In a statement, Vianne Timmons says, I sincerely regret any hurt or confusion sharing my story may have caused. Timmons says she doesn't identify as Indigenous, only that it's part of her heritage. But in the past, she has claimed membership with an unrecognized Mi'kmaq band in Nova Scotia and accepted an award from an Indigenous charity. The university is striking a committee of Indigenous leaders to discuss the next steps. A Manitoba First Nation has declared a state of emergency after weeks of despair. First, suicides, and now a devastating fire. Shimadawa First Nation is one of the province's most remote communities, located more than 700 kilometers northeast of Winnipeg. CTV's Manitoba Bureau Chief Jill Mackishon on the desperate need in a region leaders are calling a forgotten First Nation. On a First Nation without a fire truck, this is the danger. An electrical fire in an elders complex, it burned until there was nothing left. Everyone escaped, but as many as 30 people are now without homes. I am here today to declare a state of emergency on behalf of my community. The reality of living on a remote First Nation was brought to Canada's attention again, this time by the chief of Shimadawa, a community that buried a mother and daughter to suicide in the past three weeks, is now dealing with the trauma of fire and displacement. Our fire truck was in Winnipeg for repairs. We don't have fire hall, we don't have fire equipment. This emergency comes just weeks after 49 people were forced out of an apartment complex on another northern First Nation. The fire truck was out of service. We challenge the governments to do what is right by responding to this declaration of a state of emergency. The chiefs here say neglect runs deep in the north, where people have little access to the same services as those in the south, and many are forced to live and die without help. We are not asking for any more than any Manitoban in this province. And we are not asking any more than any Canadian in this country. Yet here's another reality of living in the far north. Ice roads which would bring new homes and the community's fire truck back to Shimadawa are expected to close next week. Omar. Jill Mackishan in Winnipeg tonight. Tens of millions of Americans are under weather alerts on both coasts tonight as the Northeast expects to be hit by a major winter storm and California braces for more flooding. CTV's Melanie Nagy reports. Rivers, creeks and streams are still swollen in several parts of California with the roaring Pajaro currently one of the most dangerous waterways. When an intense storm hit the state last week, the river's levee ruptured, flooding several areas south of San Francisco and forcing thousands of people from their homes. We really didn't expect it to happen, um, but here we are now. Since then, the breach has quadrupled in size, making it extremely difficult to repair, a real worry, considering even more rain and wicked weather are in the forecast. 
We are dealing with rain and wind events that I can only describe as a super soaker saturation event. After experiencing years of historic drought, California is being battered by one of the most brutal winters on record, along with rain and flooding. There's been strong winds and heavy snow. Just this weekend in South Lake Tahoe, a store roof collapsed under the weight of the increased snowpack. Honestly, it's it's um, a little shocking. Like we knew that there's a lot of snow on the rooftops. Just didn't expect it. Along with damaged buildings, there's been dozens of rescues this season. When the Pajaro burst its banks, the National Guard had to save numerous stranded drivers. Tonight, millions of Californians are under flood watches and bracing for yet another powerful storm that's expected to last at least until Wednesday. Melanie Nagy, CTV News, Vancouver. And overseas, Tropical Storm Freddy has killed at least 99 people in southern Malawi and left a trail of destruction. The region has been hit by extensive flooding and landslides, and officials fear the death toll will climb. At least 10 people have died in neighboring Mozambique. It's the second time in a month that Freddy has pounded the region. It's one of the strongest storms ever recorded in the southern hemisphere. Malawi is one of 56 countries that represent a community of more than two and a half billion people. And today, King Charles delivered his first Commonwealth Day address as monarch, invoking the legacy of his mother. In succeeding Her Majesty as head of the Commonwealth, I draw great strength from her example, together with all that I have learnt from the extraordinary people I have met throughout the Commonwealth. The royal family and Commonwealth leaders gathered inside Westminster Abbey for the service. Outside, a small group protested against the monarchy. Not my king! Not my king! The Abbey is also where Charles's coronation ceremony will take place on May 6th. Coming up after the break. A frigid plunge in a risky race. Plus... It's a really fun thing to have happen. Canadians celebrating in the Oscars afterglow. Some dramatic dash cam video tonight of some scary moments for competitors in the Kanawaki Ice Racing Series. Two cars fell through the ice as they raced on the St. Lawrence River. Everyone inside the vehicles managed to get out, and incredibly, no one was injured. A scene right out of a movie. And on the big night celebrating the best of cinema, Canadians took home multiple awards. CTV's Vanessa Lee on the victories that broke barriers. Michelle Yeoh. This was a historic moment. Michelle Yeoh became the first Asian to win Best Actress. For all the little boys and girls who look like me watching tonight, <laughs> this is a beacon of hope and possibilities. A message celebrated around the world. Her mom, Janet, was beaming with pride from Malaysia. Everyone who helped Canadians also left their mark on the 95th Academy Awards. It's really quite heavy. Um, and uh, it got a little bit dirty from all the partying last night. Calgary's Odessa Ray is one of the producers of Navalny, winner of Best Documentary Feature about Russia's jailed opposition leader. 
Alexei's message is one of, you know, stand up to authoritarianism, stand up to the big bad uh, wolf that is squashing your dreams and your life and your freedom. The Toronto sign was lit up in gold in honor of the director of Navalny, Daniel Rohr, along with Sarah Pauly, who won Best Adapted Screenplay for Women Talking. I think it does sort of practically change things in terms of um, opportunities. It's nice to have that sense that there'll be some security. You know, that's that's an amazing gift. It was a career comeback for Best Actor Brendan Fraser, who played a 600-pound man in The Whale. The makeup artist who transformed him for the role has also been through an extraordinary 24 hours. I was really hoping that this morning I would be going back to work and business as usual, let's go. And uh, today is still quite demanding. A Calgary dancer is basking in Oscar's glow after taking center stage in the performance of Natu Natu, which scored best original song from Indian film RRR. It was the most insane experience of my whole life. That stage, the audience, the, the lights, the cameras, everything, it was, it was magnifying. Mom! Dreams coming true on an unforgettable night. Vanessa Lee, CTV News, Montreal. And so ahead. So that got us thinking, what can we do to prevent this from happening again? A creative mother and daughter duo trying to put the brakes on car thieves. Trying to outsmart car thieves is a major challenge for police and car owners, but a simple idea from a mother-daughter team from Edmonton just might deter those seeking to steal a valuable part. CTV's David Awasik explains. It's the global crime wave that targets your tailpipe. Thieves chopping out catalytic converters from under vehicles, selling them for the precious metals within, and so far coming up with a solution has exhausted experts. But this simple design might just be it. It's called the Foilum Fence. In January, it won first place in a competition funded by the Edmonton Police Foundation. When we saw it, it was like, wow, this is so creative, so innovative. We never thought about it. And now that a patent is pending, the inventors, a mother-daughter duo, are showing it off and telling how it came to be. It was completed a couple of days, literally a couple of days, after I got my car back. Tamara Dolinsky's car was targeted last summer. An adjuster said if thieves were successful once, they'd be back. So that got us thinking, what can we do to prevent this from happening again? Tamara's mother drew up this idea and a welder put it together, using lengths of connecting rebar for each side of the car with flat metal plates on the ends. Once together, you push it in place, then drive onto those plates and let your car's weight hold the fences firm. It takes about a minute per side to set it up and a minute per side to take it down and have it in your car. The idea is once you walk away from your car, no one can slide underneath it. The inventors say they also made it to look sturdy enough that no one would even attempt to try. The duo still can't believe that an idea they implemented simply for their own problem beat all other designs. But there were applications from literally all over the world. There's much more testing to come before it's known if the foilum fence can put one over on the bad guys by setting the bar as low as they are. David Awasik, CTV News, Edmonton. 
And hockey fans stole the show at tonight's Leaf Sabres game in Toronto. When the microphone malfunctioned, the mostly Canadian crowd jumped in to finish the U.S. anthem. Oh, say can. Example of another kind of assist. Great to see. After the break, no time to spare. There's all the black smoke, so that's all the smoke that was in the house. An inside look at a camera operator's daring rescue. A member of our CTV News team is being celebrated for his courage and bravery tonight for running into danger while most would race away from it. As CTV's Quebec Bureau Chief Genevieve Beauchemin reports, it's something he's used to doing on the job, but never like this. The house doesn't catch on fire. That's Cosmo Santa Maria's voice you hear. Okay. While several motorists drove by the flames on this rural road, he pulled over. And not just to capture this on his phone, but to jump in and try to help. Hello? A car fire had spread to the roof of this house and smoke was building up inside. I just hope nobody's in the house. Cosmo later realized there was no working smoke detector. Oh. He got close to the flames and kept trying. Hello? If anyone was home, Cosmo knew it was urgent to rescue them. Oui, quelqu'un est dans la maison. Je veux l'allumer. There's someone in the house, he yells to another passerby who's calling 911. I saw a light. There's all the black smoke, so that's all the smoke that was in the house. Experience, you see, was Cosmo's guide. Montreal Police Department. Turns out he's been on the scene of hundreds of fires, filming for CTV News. Cosmo has been on overnight patrol for the network in the Montreal area for more than a decade. Friday was actually his day off. He was just heading home. This time, it, when I arrived, it was different. I had the phone in my hand, I go, wait a minute. Uh, I go, you know, the, uh, the fire department is not here, I need to take charge. Monsieur, hey, to show you offer. Cosmo had knocked and yelled for several minutes before a man finally came to the door. The man had no idea there was fire raging around him. There goes the house. By the time firefighters arrived, the quickly spreading fire had swallowed up most of the house. Bravo à monsieur le the local fire chief applauded Cosmo's courage and his social responsibility. They're recommending him for some sort of recognition. Cosmo says he's just relieved and happy to see the man he woke up, Martin, alive and well, though he's still in shock. I had fallen asleep in front of the TV, he says. And without Cosmo's help, the ending to this story have been far worse. Geneviève Beauchemin, CTV News, Montreal. That's amazing. Once again, Cosmo saves the day. That's a snapshot of this Monday for all of us at CTV National News. Good night. <laughs>